Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Sean Doyle. Hey. Sean is the CEO and principal at Fitz Martin, a leading consultancy focused on sales marketing and management, sales and marketing technology services, and revenue operations for B2B companies. He's an author, a speaker, and a small to mid-sized business advisor and executive coach. With over a 30-year career and more than 5,000 client engagements, Sean's specialty is focusing on creating long-term value by developing data-driven full funnel marketing strategies that provide a scientific approach to driving revenue. Today, Sean and I are going to be diving in to how businesses can transform their marketing efforts and profitability by focusing on behavioral change. We'll Mm. learn what works from Sean's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses and individuals just miss the mark. Sean, welcome. So happy to have you here. I almost believed that intro. I'm feeling really good about myself. Are you pumped up right now? (laughs) Stacy, you get an invitation for something called marketing mistakes. And I thought, oh, they've found out. I've made all the mistakes. This is great. <laughs> well, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> the longer we've been doing this, the longer we've been leading organizations, the oh. more mistakes that we see, that we get to make, yep. that we see our clients make. And so we get to be this whole big bundle of like mistakes gone good. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the biggest mistakes of my career, I have so much clarity on, not because of just the wisdom of learning, but because at the, let me see, I guess it was 2002, I was introduced to this framework of behavioral science. And we're not going to get into that at all, because that's like for PhDs and really smart people. But what I saw in it was nine best practices for marketers. Nine. I mean, there's nine aha moments that we can all and i use to break down uh any kind of client engagement i I can find and identify what's not working uh, in their marketing because i know the the science of behavioral change not my perspective um, is is codified into nine best practices if you want to read the science it's actually some california folks uh prochotchka norcross and de clemente wrote a book called changing for good and uh, read it and you'll be as smart as me then yeah the whole nine yeah they're all in there i didn't dream this up which is important because so many marketers are just filled with hype and hubris and i don't want to be that guy i want to be the uh, there's something actually standing behind behind me and um you know our first uh, time to ever apply these ideas we looked at we we mapped and broke down uh, a large bank client and uh, who is having the struggle with reaching their best prospects and we identified that the agency types, Stacy, me, all those types, you know, we were doing the wrong things. We were doing the things that we were taught in college. We were raising awareness. We were doing consciousness raising work. We were doing, sharing testimonials, maybe doing some rational reevaluation, maybe a little emotional stuff. And that wasn't the problem, right? The, the prospects knew the bank, the bank knew the prospects, everybody knew everybody. No more, no amount of awareness was gonna change a thing. So we, by the way, that was the first four best practices. I just shared those. And so what we realized was that there was a need to go through a a private public commitment process and to develop helping relationships and to give social liberation, which all are late stage effectiveness tools, processes. So those 
those best practices, I just named three more, helping relationships, private, public, and social liberation, those were effective. And we helped that client take a list of about a thousand names. They couldn't get traction on it. And they turned $380 million of new business in about six weeks. That's and insane. it wasn't, yeah, it was, it was incredible. We couldn't believe it. It was amazing. And we did that job. Um, Stacy and I were talking offline about some politics and that happened in our business. But um, the only two times in the 13 years that we lost the business was one, uh, a member of a board of directors wanted to use a friend uh, agency in town. And, I've never uh, had that happen. Never had that never happen. Never had that never. happen to the tune of <laughs> easy, easy, Stacey. Hold it in, hold it in. <laughs> and um, and the other, the other was um, there was this sexy group. Everybody knows Chick Fil A at this point. Everybody in the world probably knows Chick Fil A. Well, everybody had to use the Richards Group down in Texas, where Stacey, you're from, right? Yeah. I'm from, and boy, have they had an issue. That poor yeah. Richards group team. Well, they did, but they were hot stuff. So they, they got, they, they, but it was great to see one politics and two professional excellence didn't fix the problems that we could fix. And it wasn't because of anything that we knew it was efficient. Marketing always depends on doing the right thing. Read best practices at the right time. Read understanding the consumer decision journey or your pipeline. And according to the, to the to the behavioral science, marketing's job really is tailoring interventions that match a, a buyer's readiness. Um, and that's it. That's what marketing should be doing. But how many times have you sat down with a marketer that said, well, first we need to map what you're doing and then let's tailor interventions? Like, I think that that sounds weird. I just wanted some good art. Well, I, I don't. Th I think good art's part of it. I think good copywriting's part of it. I think good media buying, good good technology, all of that has to be built on. But it's all built on delivering the right the right intervention, marketing to to match a person's readiness, and that's how you create effectiveness. I hate to tell you this, your you can turn your podcast off. I just told the big secret. That's it. That's all you've got to do to create effective marketing. Taylor intervention. It sounds so easy. It is easy. It's well, as a friend of mine says, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it yeah. really is simple, but it's not easy. So, I, you know, Stacy, you've probably never uh, had to lose a few pounds and never had to get back in shape because, well, you know, you're in shape. Never. And have, yeah. So I live in Los Angeles, so it must be perfect, right? <laughs> everything. Um, I'll tell you a story about surfing in the polluted waters off of LA one day, but that's a that's a gross subject. So. Um, the uh, the idea of, of I'm going to get in shape is like a common one, right? We've all felt that. I've, right now, I'd tell you I want to lose 20 pounds, maybe 30. But if that's my goal, I've got to understand um, and and build a system of smaller rewards. And I want to talk about rewards for a second because I think of of all the things that an executive can do to improve their marketing. It's building rewards. Now, rewards are are most often misused. So my reward, I think, would be, oh, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. My reward's going to be longer life and better in shape. But I just named all these obtuse things or things that are really far down the road, right? There should be rewards, more like when you were raising a child, if you had the chance to do that, or mentoring somebody, like you had to give them small bite-sized rewards. But the question I would ask you, this kind of basic thinking is, have you or executive CEO, can you name 
what reward system does your marketing and sales team have built in place? So you know that what small behaviors get small rewards, what big behaviors get big rewards, what are those rewards? Marketing, have you designed that system for the company? Sales, do you understand how to apply that? Because sales, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I love sales. I, my business exists to support sales, but man, you're guilty. You take people to play golf and big fancy meals way too early in the buyer's journey. You waste the money of your business. You waste your time. You're actually lowering your potential commissions by doing this at the wrong time. Because if you want to take me out for a $500 round of golf at a beautiful course, I'll say yes, even if I have no intention of buying anything from you, okay. right? So everybody's wasting you, either that or you're manipulating, right? You've got this mutual, uh, this obligation of mutual reciprocity. I'll you buy can you create five. guilt, strong yeah. guilt in other people. Well, if it's you amazing believe, how that works for some. <laughs> if you think selling is manipulating buyers through the journey, then I cannot help you. Right. And And I think people can be really successful manipulating buyers through the journey. It's I see it all the time. I just don't think it's morally right. <laughs> but um, so if you want to develop a high lifetime value uh, with high customer or lower customer acquisition costs, then understand these incremental journeys and understand these rewards. Marketers, I, I just guarantee you haven't thought about a, a system of rewards. I'm just, I'm getting going, Stacey. I'm on and, the preaching. And with um, the rewards, what you're talking yeah. about, you're not talking about internal team rewards. You're talking about rewards that the customer is experiencing, correct? Um, correct. That's a great observation, Stacey. Yeah, this is not the, uh, I'm going to be a member of the President's Club. Um, although you could argue that being a member of the President's Club, for those of you who aren't big salesy people, that's like the, the big honor. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, to be a member of the President's Club means you sold the most and you're taken to Punta Canta or I don't know, someplace beautiful and, um, and you know, it's great, but that, that is actually a reward system that's effective internally. And, and one small aside, if marketers are expert at, at, at changing behavior at helping people see things and, and motivate people to do a, a new thing in a new way, these systems work internally as well as externally. So we're talking about if you want to build a culture, in your business, you need to understand this. If you if you want to create sales that do a certain thing, your reward might not be the traditional way the President's Club has been set up. But today I want to focus just on how to help people buy. So yeah, there are external rewards and you know, early stage rewards, for example, might simply be insights, right? So everyone gates content. There's been a movement in marketing to ungate content, meaning I don't have to give you my email or, or any bit of information about me. And I think that's the right thing, because if I can give you some insight and the, the aha here, Stacey and I were talking about this earlier, there's so much to know about how to do. You can know how to do something, but doing it's a whole different thing, right? So give me insights. Tell me a little data point. That might be a great reward. Um, that's appropriate for early stage buyers, not marketing garbage, not fluff, but like data how points, to, how to make yeah. their lives easier, how to make their jobs even, better, how to make even, them smarter so that yeah, they even feel that. better in their own organization. Even that. Right. So if I like when I get it, so I run a, at what we would call it a sales and marketing consultancy, but we'll just call it an agency. When I get a call from somebody selling to me. Now, really good salesman's going to hear this and do this right. But when I get a call, most people give me this 
you know, wouldn't you like to outperform your peers or do you know how to whatever? And I don't care, but the, the person that calls and says, or emails and says, or doesn't add and communicates with me somehow and says, I know people in your industry should spend no more than 45% of adjusted gross income. And if you're not doing that, if you're spending more than that, let's talk. I can give you some insights. Like that was a reward for reading an ad. I now have a metric that I know I can manage to or explore further. And I immediately looked at my own in my own head or pulled up my dashboard and went, oh, I'm at 49%. I'm at 60% or I'm at 20%. Maybe I'm ripping my employees off. Um, by the way, we're, we're right on target, but like, that's a great early stage reward. Like we don't have to think about rewards. Don't, please don't put a logo on a pen and send it to me. That's going to tick me off. That's not a reward. That's a waste of money and time and material. Um, at best it'll get recycled, but I mean, data, data points, if you're really good at whatever this thing is that you manufacture, whatever you sell, you can give me data points. Stacy, can you give me a data point? I'm going to put you in the spot. Can you give me a data point on if I get my product placed in some sexy, um, a product content movie outcome. Like what's it, do you have a data point? That would be a great reward. It would be a great reward. And, and, you know, there it goes, right. As an agency like ours, like we can, I can tell you some clients have seen three time, 20 time, 40 million gazillion time ROIs on it. Right. But what gets harder for some agencies is mm -hmm. that if you are in an industry where and if you're any agency, your clients don't always like telling you the upside of what they see on the back end. Mm -hmm. And so unless you are doing something where there are digital metrics that you yourself uh, are controlling, not the yep. client's Google analytics to see website traffic increases, you have to have a lot of trust in clients to actually tell you that insight and mm. to be willing to share it. And a lot of times companies are very risk adverse because they also don't like shouting from the rooftops of what is successful for them because they don't want their competitors. They're very fearful that if they're doing something right and if their, their competitors hear or learn about it, that they will lose instead mm -hmm. of more so looking at it in yeah. a less fearful approach of if we're doing it right. Yep. then others can win too. And there's enough yep. for everyone to go around. So, so I don't, I certainly don't, if you've built a good moat in your business, like don't give away the moat, don't give away the intellectual property. That would be stupid, yeah. but there's so much information that you can give away that early stage insight. Really, it's not, I don't want to have a debate about what kind of information. It's just really important to understand yeah. information is hard to apply. Most people have a hard time applying. They need data. Like, Right. But you need we a data point. We all data. We all right. want to know metrics and numbers, how we can improve and, and impact the bottom line. Of course. So when I, when I early stage as a buyer, if I download um, the, the, the piece that you've got, the spec sheet or the brochure, whatever, if I get a brochure, I, I'm, I'm ticked because you didn't add any value. I didn't ask for a sales call. I asked for a data point. I asked for information. So you've got to give me a reward for having good behavior of clicking and downloading something. Then middle of the funnel, give me a different reward. Maybe it's a little bit more sales because middle of the funnel, typically you want sales involved and a buyer is typically willing. Think back to behavioral change, right? Middle of the funnel, people are, telling, are typically willing to begin talking to somebody. Maybe I'll download a book. Maybe I'll go get a self-help book. Maybe I'll... Uh, dive in a little bit more deeply. Maybe I'll attend something 
online, maybe I'll actually call a salesperson and ask for some engineering kind of thinking ahead of time to, to build an ROI, right? That would be a good reward. If you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. And then the net result of this in a private commitment is that I will be equipped then to go to the other decision makers. I live in the B2B world. So um, most of my uh, clients are selling large CapEx kind of things. So there's there's more than one decision maker. So equipping me is a reward, equipping me with information of this change. So if I walk and I can lose five pounds this month, then I learn how to walk and how to measure it, then that equips me to be successful. And if I can do it once, then I might invite my wife to join me or a coworker to join me or other people. That's a public commitment to say, I've done this and I want you to participate with me. Sales is no different. So middle of the funnel, find that, that leading uh, advocate and equip them. That could be a reward. We're going to do this investigation, this study, this diagnostic, this engineering, and we're going to give you a picture of what it might look like to change behavior, to buy from us. And then if they say yes, maybe at the end of that, it's another external reward. Maybe that's when you take them to dinner. Say, hey, we, I enjoyed the meeting today. Thanks for bringing in the other decision makers. Let's go out to dinner tonight. What's your favorite place? Let's, let's debrief on this. So I'm not making it personal. I don't, most buyers don't want you to be their best friend. They want you to provide information. So if that's a really expensive way to have friends, right? Um, is to buy stuff. So let's just go to dinner. Let's debrief on the meeting. We'll go to your favorite place and everybody will be home by seven o'clock. I don't know. Out in West Coast, you guys don't even go out till 10, I guess, right? Oh, so. we do because our restaurants close early. Don't worry. We do. <laughs> but you get the idea. So rewards can be some of that traditional thing. But so your question is, what are the mistakes um, that most people make in marketing? I think the use of rewards incorrectly is that. And I think the idea of building reward systems for positive behavior can take a lot of different shapes. But I wanted to give those ideas of give me a calculator that gives me data. Give me a white paper that's really authentic that maybe shows anonymized data from my industry. Give mm -hmm. me um, give me a uh, give me some consulting. Do a little help. Let me I'll, sh I'll give you a little little taste and I'll show you the proof because the proof is in the tasting of the pudding, right? So you've got to, you've got to taste that pudding to, to try it, to understand it. Um, so give, give a little bit of that away. Um, but it could be simple things like a, a golf trip or a dinner, but make it connected to behavior. It's, it's when you do rewards without connecting it to behavior that you're a numbskull. Think about it. If you were raising a child and you just, randomly gave them rewards just great job here's a skittle the kid's going to be going what what did i what did i whatever i just did i must want to repeat because i want more skittles but if i was just sitting maybe i guess that's the behavior so you know you've got to you've got to connect rewards to behaviors otherwise you're not changing behavior and this actually, way. I would assume works, you know, you're talking, we're on a call podcast today for our listeners about all things marketing and sales. Well, this applies to internal organizations too. Absolutely. As you just said, family dynamics, everything that if you're just giving and giving, no one's actually going to necessarily appreciate the reward because yep. they didn't have to take action to get there. 
So it comes back to these nine best practices and they're simply progressive interdependent steps by which an end is attained. But we call it centricity. It's gotta be focused on something. So marketing can often do things for marketing's sake. Sales can do things for sales sake, but it's gotta be centered on a customer. If you'll do everything centered on the customer, centricity is the application of these best practices to buyers, to customers. And this works from very early stage, somebody who's pre-contemplated, um, never even thought about your business, your service, your offering, all the way through to creating customer success and advocacy. Um, you know, how do you get that that repeat buyer. And, and the thing that the science shares with us is with or without rewards, we're never going to just go through a funnel without friction, right? There's just always friction. So the friction can be removed by understanding these nine best practices. And if you use rewards all the way through, but particularly at closing, that's the most effective time to use rewards. Um, give me incrementally appropriate rewards from the beginning through, but the most effective place is that time right before an exchange relationship happens. So understand those rewards because otherwise people are going to retreat. People, 80%, science shows 80% of all people retreat to the prior behavior. Well, the prior behavior might mean, in our case, the buying of another service, the buying of another product, it might be the, and, and it might be the buying, it's behavior, right? Behave, buying is simply, and, and, and working with a particular business is simply a behavior. Mm -hmm. So rewards are a really critical part. That's all I got to say about that, Stacey. Ah. That's a lot on rewards. That is a lot. <laughs> so, so, Sean, how did you get here today? Like, what got you started on your journey to mm. really, like, dive in and be so hyper-focused on distinguishing and learning the nine, the 19, the, all of the different things that you've done to yeah. learn? Well, um, two things, I think, that, that are really important. One is uh, in 2002, I ended up going from being a guy who ran marathons to unable to walk the stairs of his house, fell asleep in the parking lot at the office at work. Something was just physically wrong. Um, I actually, the last marathon I ran was in Nashville. And at one point I literally laid down on the street and had people coming over like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just exhausted. Um, so I had this, this problem, this physical illness. It's an autoimmune illness called dermatomyositis. And dermatomyositis is a disease where your body attacks its own muscles and the skin. And the result of that is weakness. So that was in 2002. And, and I went from getting that call on a February, cold February morning. Uh, and ironically enough, that, that diagnosis was the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it did so much. It refocused me to understanding the purpose in life. And I think one of my purposes is to guide and to teach and to help and not worry about the business stuff so much. So I, that's why I want to tell you what this stuff is. You can go to fitzmartin.com, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com slash free help, free dash help. And you can download this stuff. I already told you the book to read. I mean, I, I got nothing. I'm not, I got nothing special. I just had this idea of this aha moment of connecting behavioral science to what we do as marketers. So I really want to change the way the emerging middle market business works. I want to change the way marketing works. And 
my personal belief system, um, I'm a Christian and I wanted to understand, is this science really true um, based on the, the ancient scriptures? So you can go into Exodus and you can look at Moses and the burning bush. Everybody knows the burning bush story, right? And Egypt and pulling Egypt out of, of uh, excuse me, Israel out of Egypt and uh, the Red Sea and uh, all of that. I mean, that whole story is a story of change. How do you how do you go from this person who's in a field with sheep to leading out, leading a revolution, right? Hey, we're Americans. We love revolutions, right? We want to change the world. And that's what that's what Moses did, right? God did that through Moses. And there's this great, if you read Exodus 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, then you're going to see this exact pattern of changing behavior, you know, starting, starting with the burning bush. Marketers are really good at creating burning bushes, right? That's, that's what you want to do when you're putting my product or service in a movie, right? You want that burning bush. You want people to go, what is that? That's interesting. I want to explore that more, right? Marketers are really good at that. And sales tends to be really good at the convincing and arguing and countering and all those different points. And, mm -hmm. and all of this stuff woven together is this brilliant truth. And it's backed by science. It's backed by the ancient scriptures. And I, so you asked me what time it was, Stacy. I built, I built you a watch. Um, but that's, that's the journey. That's where I am. And I uh, just want to keep sharing it. Your podcast is a great podcast. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate. Well, so when we're talking about mistakes, right? Oh, yeah, 5,000 engagements. I've probably made over 5,000 mistakes then, right? You've probably made 5,000 mistakes, but then or you're more. also exposed <laughs> to 5,000 engagements who have themselves uh, made at least one mistake as well. Yeah. Or two or three or four or five. But often don't admit it. Yes. <laughs> but I, you know, I think, you know, the whole thing of being an entrepreneur um, mm. or a leader in an organization is you do make mistakes and you learn from them. And then you don't make that same mistake. You find a new mistake to make mm. and you keep on bundling that and make another and another and another. And somehow along the way, you forge a way to find success. Mm. And those are the building blocks. Failure is actually your building blocks to find success and be successful in life. Unless you're just one lucky SOB. Yeah, <laughs> really? Exactly. I, no, you're hundred percent right. <laughs> Somehow I'm like, praise you guys, whoever you are, good for you. And I think I'm on the been mistakes train myself. So that's many, why I have podcasts because I love learning about what other people do. So maybe I can not do the oh. same thing. But what are some of the other mistakes that mm. you see with your focus on behavioral change? Mm. Um, besides the, you know, reward, there's also, you know, risk, there's everything else. What else do you see? Yeah. Well, risk brings up a whole nother subject. You'd have to invite me back for that. Um, and because really the, the, the whole journey of behavioral change does involve risk, right? So we are, and, and we can get into the limbic mind and there's all kinds of different things that, uh, and belief systems around how we, we avoid risk, mm -hmm. but there is a reality to that. I don't want to, I, I used a late stage um, illustration earlier about private commitment and then public commitment. And what's key about that is almost any time we change our behavior or buy a product or service, mm -hmm. we have to consider it first. For example, if I was going to place one of my clients 
products or services with you, I would want to go through with you in great clarity exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I want to see how other people's what other people's outcomes have been good and bad. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the mistakes most people make is we all paint. Well, Sean, who have you worked with? I've worked with Georgia Pacific. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all I thump my chest and all that kind of stuff because everybody's got those names. But, you know, what's better is to say I've worked with 5,000. I've worked on 5,000 engagements over 30 years, all kinds of different companies, different sizes, different. I mean, just be honest, right? So risk is not heightened um, when you only tell good stories. Risk is heightened when you um, when you <laughs> risk is heightened when you only tell good stories um, risk is not heightened when you tell the bad ones but we all right, are because everyone thinks funny. that oh shining clovers of glory there is no yeah. danger zone here versus BS, oh right? <laughs> there are things that i could fail at along the way here maybe i should you know yeah. know a little bit and also work with someone who knows a little bit about failure yeah. too well, so let's go back to rewards for a second. What if a reward for engaging with a business and getting information, maybe it's online, maybe it's uh, in a sales presentation. What if you handed me something that said, here are the risks of making the change? Because that acknowledges, Stacy, I want you to do something differently than you've done before. Mm -hmm. This is what I know the risks are. And this might be helpful to you, even if you don't work with us. And then... Uh, that's an incredible reward for you trusting and talking to me. Mm -hmm. Like That doesn't say we make these mistakes. Actually, it heightens that you're aware of these mistakes. And if you're a halfway decent business, you do something about these, right? So you could share that um, with people. I just think that the, that the risk management of risk is, an, is a huge issue that, so I've talked about nine best practices. Risk is at the core of all of it. So in that private public commitment, I want to make sure I know all the risks before I share it with somebody else because I don't want to look bad, right? So and rewards can be related to risk. Any of the nine best practices can be related to risk. And everything we're doing is lowering risks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to understand, especially in today's world where I can get online and learn anything i can you know i always get those ads like for 49 bucks find out everything about stacy jones's criminal record I'm like oh what she has a criminal record no you know not much there quite frankly <laughs> i've not led a very exciting life with well, good. I, to that Lots of i other saved exciting. i saved the 49 bucks so that was <laughs> great um but you know we all get that kind of stuff and it's all clickbait and it's designed to to elevate risk because that's a behavior that um and it's actually in a way i'm not endorsing it but in a way it's pretty brilliant marketing right it's understanding that inherent desire to lower risk you know and it probably came out of the hr world where if, uh, if i'm going to hire you give you my money and give you authority how do you make sure i don't fail <laughs> right so it's a lowering risk technique um, yeah. we were part of a group um i think it was process engineering around the automation space that actually built uh, an entity, uh, an association of sorts globally, and they shared data points and best practices. And then that became a risk management technique, right? So should you go work with your competitors in a way that lowers risk? Yeah, I'd say that's a great idea.
Well, we can't work with our competitors. Sure you can. There's enough business. There's, you, you couldn't, if you got all the business, you couldn't do it, right? Yeah. So just work, I mean, work, people are people. Get real, share your, share your failures. And you put me on the spot. I don't know, gosh, I was thinking like, what's my biggest failure over the years? I think my biggest failure would have been not admitting my mistakes as I went. <laughs> and instead of trying to kind of cover them up, like just saying, gosh, we had this crazy story years and years ago. And it's sort of sad. Um, in a way, we were doing work for a country club, which we rarely ever do that kind of work. But we were doing work for a country club. And this was long enough ago, we were mailing brochures to prospects and target audiences. And a little different than your typical B2B work that you were doing. A little doing. different, yeah. yeah. So, well, what wasn't different was the CEO who was miffed when he called and just chewed me out and delivery and failure and rah, rah, rah. And it was, once he calmed down enough to for me to figure out that our, our list, the brochures for the country club, very high end place, um, got mailed to the wrong place. So called the mail house, figured it out. So there was a brochure being mailed to, and they swapped the lists. So somewhere I'm responsible for about 30,000 prisoners in this federal system, getting a brochure for a country club that they're not welcome to join. <laughs> That was a lot of WTFs that were said, <laughs> by the way, without um, a doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're listening today, I'm sorry. I'm still sorry. It's painful, but we got <laughs> them reprinted. The it's not that yeah. damaging. There's not it's, a PR repression from that. It's not the world's going to end. It's a bad It cost anymore. a week. It was a huge mistake. So, yeah. And we have a good process now for double checking. You learned because there might have been a bigger mistake around the corner that you didn't even know exactly. about, but it's protected you for it because exactly. you built a process. Exactly. And yeah, well, I didn't sure. even have to use ENO insurance. So that good. that's good. How can people find you? I know you uh, mentioned your website earlier, but how can they drill down to see who Sean is and how you can help their organization? Sure. Well, I was published by Rock Bench Publishing out of Nashville a couple years back. So the book Shift, S-H-I-F-T, uh, and it's 19 practical business-driven ideas for executives in charge of marketing, but not trained for the task. So I wrote you this book so that you could uh, figure out uh, kind of what it is that you're supposed to be doing when you're leading marketing. And this, this uh, concept, the centricity concept, and these nine best practices are two of the chapters. Um, there's also a great chapter on how to hire. So when you're hiring for marketing, uh, there's four questions and I give you the question and I give you the answer you're looking for. So you hire the right people because marketing so often people get hired for the wrong reasons. They're, they're creative. <laughs> All right. Uh, my father had a heart attack and the nurses were creative. That does not mean that, um, you know, we should hire the nurse, right? So th there's good questions, good answers there. And then fitzmartin.com, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. That's what I really do for a living. And, uh, and if you, there's the free help section and there's some videos on this stuff and uh, you can certainly outline and see all of that uh, there. So fitzmartin, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com slash free dash help. And that'll get you, like I said, I'm giving it away. The boss said, let it go. Let it all go. <laughs> Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners did as well. So thank you. If they got one good thing out of today, then that's a celebration.
Thank you, Stacey. I was honored to be here. I guarantee. I got more than one good thing. I'm sure they did as well. And oh, so I'll send you a bill. I'll send you Perfect. a bill. Perfect. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have any questions in regards to influencer marketing or product placement or what the risks and rewards are to those practices, reach out and our team is happy to chat and do a deep dive into all things that you can be doing to suss up your marketing through pop culture. Have a great one.